What I am is someone who has experienced all the ups and downs and ups agains, right? Just like each of us. And so I'm still processing it. I can tell you even now, there are times where I go, oh, I wish this had gone differently, but I'm happy it went the way it went because I learned something. There are no regrets, only learnings. Lisa's son is the founder and CEO of Gravitas, a company that combines fashion with confidence. When Lisa's former boss told her that she lacked Gravitas and she should go buy a new dress, big jewelry, and great shoes, she realized the transformative power that clothing can have and ultimately left the corporate world to go launch Gravitas, a confidence-building company that offers innovative apparel and styling solutions designed to give every woman a confident sense of self. Get ready to hear Lisa's story and how her company is redefining fashion as a way to catalyze confidence. Coming up, you'll hear about Lisa's challenges climbing the corporate ladder before she founded her business her advice on how to build self-confidence. You'll hear all about the six forces that hold us back from having confidence. And finally, the four superpowers you need to start a business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Lisa, we are so thrilled to sit down with you this afternoon and hear all about your Entrepreneurista journey and story. Lisa, did you always know that you wanted to have your own business one day? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm so happy Courtney and I met in person. And when you talk about walking the talk of sisterhood, I think we're walking the talk because I got a chance to meet you and you said, let's do something for you as well. So I love that we can hype each other and support and amplify each other. Yes, I did because I grew up in the company of entrepreneurs. My parents are immigrants from Kaohsiung, Taiwan. They came to the U.S. in 1974 with no money, college educated. My mom worked on a hamburger truck. My dad worked on a loading dock. And they owned a Mongolian barbecue, all-you-can-eat restaurant, $4.95 at lunch, $12.95 at dinner. I worked there every summer, 1987. I was the eight-year-old cashier. I now know the grip strength that's required to do a carbon copy credit card machine because if there was one number missing, my parents didn't get paid. So I cut my teeth seeing firsthand what it takes to create something from nothing. You know, immigrants believe in things before other people can, before other people Mm -hmm. see it. They will ideas into existence because who picks up and goes to a place where they don't know anyone, doesn't speak the language and builds a life for their family. So I always had that what we call creating gene. That's one of the eight superpowers in our in our work. A lot of immigrants have creating built into their DNA. And mm. therefore, I always knew I was going to will an idea into existence someday. I loved that hearing your story when we met in, in Miami at that event. And I could really relate to it because I also grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And my grandmother on my dad's side, she is Korean. And she came here from Korea. And I don't know the exact story, but somehow she opened up a chain of clothing boutiques in the Bronx. And I remember as a little girl, I would work in them and run around the aisles and also probably try to 
run the cash register at some point. So I also have those same memories. Walk us through what happened when you you went to college. I know the story, but I, I want you to share the story with all of our listeners. So what happened next after you went to college? Well, I my first job out of college was at McKinsey and Company, the global management consulting firm. I ended up spending 11 years there. I always say thank goodness for these Asian genetics. Most people spend 24 months. I spent 11 years there. And from September of 2000 until September of 2011, I spent 11 years essentially working with some of the world's greatest fashion brands, luxury brands. I don't know why I was able in my 20s and 30s to hang out with the world's best thinkers and executives and solve all these tough problems and compressed timeframes. That's one of the greatest gifts, learning client service and apprenticeship and mentorship. I do note, though, that it did take me twice as long to climb the ladder as my male colleagues, right? At at 11 years, I was pretty much at the same marker that most of my male colleagues made at two and five or six years. And so what I can now do over a decade later, separated from that experience is I can see how much value it gave me and how much it shaped me as a person and as a professional. But now I can see some of the systemic barriers or biases that probably at the time, I really wish someone had told me that it wasn't my Mm -hmm. fault that I hadn't been promoted, that the system wasn't built by me or for me. So I probably would have been nicer to myself. I probably would have beat myself up less for not getting to certain markers or milestones in my career. But right when I graduated from college, I spent 11 years climbing a ladder. Were you seeing that men in your company were getting promoted ahead of you? Like that that was like right before yes. your eyes, like you would you would be up for the same promotion and then they would be getting it and you wouldn't. And then you were beating yourself up and like, why are they getting it, not me? Like, what did you do in those? How did you handle that? Well, and and this is why I wrote a book, right? I think you write the book you most need to read yourself. I wish I could get in the DeLorean, Back to the Future style, and go back to my 22-year-old self and give myself the book. What I think is so hard for women particularly is we tie, and this is one of the six forces that drives insecurity that I write about, we tie our self-worth to external markers. So my Mm -hmm. easiest one is I'll be happy when I lose 10 pounds. By the way, if you lose the 10 pounds, you just think you're going to lose another five. Like you just keep going, right? You don't even give yourself credit Mm -hmm. for that. If you don't, you beat yourself up. You think you did something wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong with you. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have goals or ambitions, but when we tie so much of our happiness to this brass ring, it really just keeps us even more insecure and more overachieving. And so at the time, for sure, like just so, you know, on a metrics basis, all the men in my class made it to junior partner or senior partner before me. That, that is just a fact. But when it was happening, I thought there's something wrong with me. Hmm. Not necessarily there's something broken in the system. Now, when I joined the firm in September of 2000, only 13% of the partnership globally were women. And I don't think that statistic ever stuck in my brain because remember, meritocracy is something we're sold as children, you get straight A's, you know, nobody knows if you're a man or a woman on your blue book in college, and it's the rules are very fair. When you enter the job world or the corporate world or any setting outside of college where there are no fair grades, there is no meritocracy. It's actually a myth. And Mm. one of the things that I wish someone had done, I write about this in my book, Kelly Shue at Yale. She's a brilliant professor at Yale. 
she evaluated 30,000 employee records last summer. And she showed that women were consistently the best at driving performance and results, but were scored the lowest on promotion potential. Men were the reverse. They didn't perform, they didn't drive results, and yet they were the most promotable. And when she double-clicked on promotability, it was extroversion, charisma. The person is like me. It was very subjective. Mm. And I definitely saw that over and over again, but I didn't know that that's what was happening. Because you remember, I internalized it. Oh, this must be me. Not the fact that the reason people are getting promoted are because they have a demographic bias or a demographic connection, or they know how to play the game on getting people to, on likability, had nothing to do with whether or not I was a better consultant, better at the job. By the way, I was. Clients loved me. My work was impeccable. We drove real impact and results. But I didn't know that so much of promotability was being going to be correlated to likability or that we share the same demography. At what point did you have all of these realizations and learn, learn all of this looking back? It's a lot of therapy and a lot of executive coaching and a lot of life coaching. Let's, you know, it, it's funny. A year before I left the firm, one of my most important mentors said, Lisa, I think you're going to be so much better and bigger on the outside. Like this place is not for you. And I didn't understand what she meant, by the way. I actually was very upset by it. I said, Are, did you not support my election? Did you? you no, know, she said, of course I did. I said, you walk on water. But I'm just telling you, you're so much better bigger than this place, and that you're trying to shape and reshape yourself into a mold that fundamentally doesn't value how special you are. My my mm. other evaluator, which I didn't like what he said, he said, I think we have a round peg square hole situation, right? And basically made me feel bad for not fitting in versus I think your gifts are being undervalued here. You're going to do so much more in the world outside of this place. I think what she was, that my first mentor was telling me, not my evaluator, but my first mentor was telling me was, hey, I see something special in you. It's just there's a different venue for you to execute that. It took me, and Courtney, you know my story. I took a full year off. I was so broken by that experience. FYI, I love McKinsey. I owe McKinsey a tremendous debt of gratitude for my network, my business relationships, the way I think, the people. You know, it, it is one of the most incredible gifts of my professional career. I don't want to take anything away from the firm. But it took me a full year of just stepping back from it, liking myself again, doing a lot of therapy before I then went and started my own company, which I've run for the last decade. Even now, I will still remember stories and anecdotes. I will flash back to them and still have to process them. I did 51 events in nine weeks for my book. So I toured a lot of corporate offices. And as people started asking me questions, I started to remember stories that I had buried deep in my psyche. And I think the process of talking about them and talking about, hey, that happened to me too. Let me walk you through how if I could go back in time, I would have changed my response or how I would have changed what I thought about myself in the moment. Mm. And I will tell you, I'm still processing it because most of us have experienced microaggressions, systemic bias, some form of corporate asymmetrical structure of power. Even if you haven't been in corporate America long, you've, you've seen it but you internalized it. You didn't process it. And so just the last nine weeks of being on book tour, I always say darkness cannot survive the light of connection. So the fact mm -hmm. that 
we can openly and vulnerably ask each other these questions, tell each other these stories. Every time I say to someone, that happened to me too. My situation was different, but let me tell you. And they go, oh my gosh, even you went through that. And I, I really think we need to like, I'm nobody's role model. Let's be clear. I make a million mistakes a day. I'm nobody's role model. What I am is someone who has experienced all the ups and downs and ups agains, right? Just like each mm-hmm. of us. And so I'm still processing it. I can tell you even now, there are times where I go, oh, I wish this had gone differently, but I'm happy it went the way it went because I learned something. There are no regrets, mm-hmm. only learnings. Tell us about that year you took off and then your decision to ultimately start your business. And what is your business that you're focused on now? You know, I wish everyone could have a paid leave. I had actually earned 11 months of paid leave. So I will first off by saying I had the luxury of not worrying about money. I I gift everyone. I hope at some point you get to do that. If you don't, I still do it now. I'm Entrepreneurs are all cash poor, idea rich. You know, um, <laughs> I still do it once a week where I'll turn off my phone for a full day. It's It's really freeing to give yourself that space. But I took 11 months of paid leave. I had all these miles and points because I'd been a consultant and I went Mm. around the world by myself. I had a Blackberry, which I still miss. I hope all of your listeners still miss their Blackberry. That thing never died, always had reception, screen never cracked. It got the job done. I feel like I got carpal tunnel from that Blackberry years ago from, uh, (laughs) was it BBM? Was that what it was called? (laughs) BBM. I really miss that because I could type while I talked to someone on a call, but I... I had a backpack full of books. I didn't even carry a laptop and I went around the world by myself. And the last month of this year off, I went and spent time with my parents. My parents are retired in their hometown in Taiwan. And Mm. my mom convinced me to take my life savings and start my own business. It was one of those really special moments where you realize you, every one of us needs someone to push us to our purpose or tell us we have the guts to do something. I'm lucky that I have a mother, as much as she's a tiger mom, she really encouraged me to go forth and do this. And the inspiration was my first boss at McKinsey told me I didn't have any gravitas. I didn't have any confidence. And she told me to buy a new dress, look in the mirror and love myself, which I admit is the most offensive feedback you can give to a 23-year-old making $43,000 a year, size 18, 20. But when I asked her why, she said, when you wake up in the morning, you're the first person you have to look at and you have to like yourself. I'll teach you how to be good at this job, but I can't teach you how to believe in yourself. Dumbo did not need a feather to fly. It reminded him that he could. So the mission of my company is we catalyze confidence and we do it in a couple of ways. The first expression of that in September of 2013 was fashion. So we, we make clothing for women. And then the next iteration was content. And now the next iteration is this best-selling book that we've launched and the experiences connected to it, of which Courtney experienced it. She got to experience one of our Gravitas workshops. And so really the idea is how do we help women see themselves differently inside and then out from a fashion standpoint? Up next, get ready to hear about the six forces that hold us back from confidence and Lisa's tips on what you can do to start building it. I absolutely love that concept. And Stephanie and I, we speak to so many women each and every day. And imposter syndrome and confidence is really at the core of a lot of our conversations. And I remember going through your workshop and doing this exercise that 
helps you figure out, you know, what are the areas where you're not so confident and what are your, what do you call them? Are they, they're your eight strengths or eight leadership qualities and you rank them. You have this most amazing quiz. So I would love if you can elaborate on what's in the book and what everyone will get out of it if they read it. Well, we really talk about three concepts that form the basis of the work. The first is self-confidence is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. And I'll go into each of them uh, in a moment. The second one is there are six forces that hold us back from confidence. And we really need to understand what is our inner critic doing before we can go solve the problem. And the third piece is in order to be truly confident, not performatively confident, not acting confident, but truly being confident, it's about understanding and inventorying your unique value that you bring to the world. And those are our eight strengths. And essentially, it's called a confidence language. And each of those three areas we explore in the book, because the first one, self-confidence is a choice and a mindset. When people tell you to be more confident, because men have written the books or hundreds of books have been written, they focus only on the behavior. So it's speak up, stand on a stage, Mm -hmm. be assertive. If you look up the word confident in the dictionary, it has nothing to do with performance, bravado, or swagger. It's an understanding of, appreciation of, and trust in your own abilities. And what I always say is we're born fully self-confident. Ask any five-year-old what they're the best at in the world, and they'll tell you, I'm the best at soccer, I'm the best at hugs, I'm the best at everything. Because when we're born, we only see our potential. We don't look at what's missing. And Mm. fundamentally, in our adolescence, between the ages of 8 and 12, and this is the second part of what we talk about, there are six forces that hold us back. They're not our fault, by the way. And that's chapter two of my book. And these six forces are the basis of your inner critic. The reason why men, by the way, they happen to women, men, and non-binary. The reason why they affect men less is they've built systems to alleviate them. So as men climb the ladder or get older, these six forces, they've learned how to mitigate them. For women, because the systems were built by men, they just get exacerbated. These six forces actually grow more intense post the age 12. And we have to break out of them. We have to actually say, I'm going to make a choice to really understand which of these six forces are affecting me and how I'm going to let go of them. And then we have to channel the right mindset. If you think of an iceberg, only 10% of the iceberg is visible. That's our behaviors. 90% of the iceberg is below the water. It's thoughts, values, feelings, and needs. So until you can believe something about yourself, you can't actually perform it or behave that way. It's why women can't receive compliments. It's because we haven't paid ourselves the compliment first. You say, oh, that's a beautiful shirt. Oh, really? I got it on sale. Or we diminish ourselves. That's me. (laughs) Right. And and that's what we're trying to break, right? Which is we've been sold a lie. The girl boss, lean in, just be more confident. We've been taught to pretend. Someone at a book reading told me, you know what? I've known you since your 20s. I've always thought of you as very confident. I said, no, I was faking it. In fact, I was insecure, overachieving, and hated myself. I really wish I had existed for myself 23 years ago. And so that's kind of two of the core ideas, and I'll get to the third in a moment. But because we have this inner critic, and actually, by the way, I hate the phrase imposter syndrome because it means that we're criminals or unwell. And Rachika Tolshin and Jodian Bury, your listeners should go read their Harvard Business Review article called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. Imposter syndrome is just systemic bias. And you can have healthy self-doubt, 
But if you let the system dictate what you should or shouldn't feel about yourself, that's why we've been made to feel imposters, not because it's in our heads, but because the system was not built for us. So that's a long-winded way of saying self-confidence is a choice and a mindset before it becomes a behavior. You have to understand what drives your inner critic so that we can then do the third part, which is the hardest work. And the hardest work to do, because we're not five years old anymore, is to take a self-affirming inventory of your talents. The best example I use is every time a woman comes in a dressing room with me, she comes in with all six forces. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I hate my arms. I don't like my thighs. That dress looks good on the mannequin. It's not going to look good on me. You know? And I always say, if this is the self-talk you're bringing in here, we're going to fail. And I make her answer a couple questions. What are you most proud of in the last year of your life? If your best friend was standing here, what would she tell me about you? And what are you the best at in the world? A question a five-year-old can answer. And if she doesn't want to answer those questions, I won't dress her. But when she does answer those questions, she starts laughing. She starts smiling. And all of a sudden she goes, oh my gosh, you're a dress whisperer. I'm like, no, I'm, I am. Yes, I am a dress whisperer. Actually, I am a dress whisperer. But more importantly, you set yourself up to fail. I set us up to succeed. You made a choice that was going to work. You got yourself in the right positive mindset. And then we could do the work together. So we spent the last five years launching a quantitative study of confidence in America, along with 32 focus groups. I love a focus group during a pandemic because people will get on an online Zoom and tell you all their dark thoughts for two hours. They're like, thank (laughs) you. I needed something to break up the monotony of today. And we discovered quantitatively that confidence is not about bravado or swagger, but there's eight different confidence languages. There's eight different ways you can be it. And so we launched this quiz, myconfidencelanguage.com. Courtney got to take it. Anyone can take it. It's free to take. But it's a self-affirming inventory for you to see yourself completely differently and to advocate for yourself and to know what you're capable of. You're more powerful than you think. I always joke, my mom took the quiz. She has all eight. She's like, I take your quiz. I'm all eight. She is. And 2% of women are all eight. But it's not Pokemon. You don't have to collect them all. It's more like you need to know your starting point of what value you bring to this world. And I can walk you through the eight, but but that's kind of some of the core concepts. Hopefully I answered your question, Courtney. (laughs) Yes, no, you definitely answered the question. And I highly recommend that everyone go and take this quiz. It was very insightful for me. Can you share the link to that everyone should go to? And we're going to link out to it in the show notes. It's called myconfidencelanguage.com. And and I think we should talk about each of these eight because I think they're really powerful as a framing device for how we think about confidence. Let's go into it. I'm going to pull it up live here right now. Okay, fun. That's fun. I love a live interactive thing. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> what what the eight are that we quantitatively found were leading, which is very common. I'm in charge. I set direction. I inspire followership. I'm in command. Performing. That's what the three of us are doing today. Extroversion, charisma, being the center of attention, loving an audience, being on stage. These two are the most often talked about and written about because they're very behavioral. They represent less than 20% of America, which means 80% of us have been told to feel bad about ourselves because we don't fit the mold. Remember that data I shared earlier around promotability? These are the two things by which we score whether or not someone deserves a promotion. The next six actually define 80% of America in terms of the value they bring. And these are the qualities I think are really exciting and powerful. Achieving, I get things done, 
I have a winner's mindset. I'm an athlete. If things don't work out, I get up and try again. Practice makes perfect. The next one is called knowing. I'm smart. I'm thoughtful. I'm process-oriented. I'm super well-researched. I always joke you want to make IKEA furniture with someone who has knowing as their superpower. These two qualities, the easiest way to think about it are the three black women in the movie Hidden Figures. Three black women at NASA. How did they have the confidence to be in the room? Well, they were achieving and knowing. They were the only three that could do the math to get a man into space. They weren't leading. They weren't performing. By the way, if we led and performed all day, nothing would get done. They were doing the hard work of getting a man into space. The next two are giving and believing. Giving, I support others. I'm empathetic. I nurture. Believing, if anyone's a Ted Lasso fan, believing was the source of his gravitas, right? He says, I'm not here to win or lose. I'm here to help people see the best in themselves. And so if you have believing as a superpower, you're optimistic, you see the best in everyone in every situation. If things don't work out, they weren't meant to be. And the last two are creating. I think we've talked about, I'm sure both of you scored very highly on creating. Creating is my number one. I will ideas into existence. I believe in things before I can see them. And the hardest one for women is called self-sustaining. It's number eight. I like myself. I don't need to impress you. I know my market value. It's the quality that's most needed to ask for money, a raise, a favor, or overcome negative criticism. And this is actually why most women struggle. Most women, when they ask for a promotion, like a title change, it's called achieving. Here's why I deserve more leadership. Here are my accomplishments. Here's what I've achieved. When you ask for money, you need to be able to say, here's my market value. If you don't want to pay it, you can say no. I will find somebody who will, and I will walk away. Or if I'm raising money, I'm comfortable hearing no 90% of the time. When I put my book out there in the world, it had a 90% rejection rate from publishers. And I told my literary agent, I want to see every rejection letter. And she said, what? I've never shown an author a rejection email. I'm like, I want it all because I'm going to prove them all wrong. They have no idea how good this book is going to be. And it did. It fueled my hate fire. But also, I loved the feedback. I was like, oh, that's actually a really good point. Yes, that is a bit cliched. Okay, I can fix that. I can do something with that. But together, all eight of these qualities are a much more complete picture, right? You should never tell someone, be more confident. It's anxiety-inducing. It's ambiguous. You can say, be more performing, be more self-sustaining, be more achieving, right? There are ways in which we can shape that conversation. But it also means women can get credit for more than just leading and performing. My mom looked at the data set and she said, oh, Lisa, when tsunami happened, men make speech, women, we clean up the beach. Finally, I get credit for clean up the beach. Think about countries that have female prime ministers or female presidents. They do not value bravado or swagger. They are self-effacing, hardworking, humble, can-do countries. I just encourage all your listeners, go Google, which countries have a female prime minister? And you will see it's Scandinavia, it's Germany, it's Asia, right? And it's because we've grown up in this male-dominated Western society that we've viewed only bravado and swagger as our only way to say I'm confident. In fact, the quietest voice in the room may be the most self-assured. I love everything that you just said. And what I think would be helpful to share is if after you take this quiz and you feel good about all of the combination of, of strengths that you have, what do you do with that? What are you supposed to do next? 
Okay. So this is, this is the fun part. Well, let me tell you, when people take the quiz and we've had over 30,000 people take the quiz in the first eight weeks, which I love that, right? That for a book that just came out, that made me really happy. And men, women, non-binary, children. The first thing that I would say is believe the results. It was built by a former McKinsey partner, not me. I actually brought in somebody who's retired because what ends up happening is two things. One is, oh my gosh, I have five of them. Is that right? I thought I'd have two. You said most people, do I really have five? Is this great? Or I have all eight. I said, yes, you've been underestimating and under leveraging yourself your whole life. Can you just trust in the fact that the quiz is right? Or secondly, people will go, oh, look at the ones I don't have. I'm like, well, why do you care? Because in chapter six, we tell you for 30 situations in life, which superpower you need. Are you ever going to go and do that? No. Why? Then why do you feel bad that you don't have that one? Only go build a superpower that you don't have if you really want something specific in life. Like we should get into the four superpowers needed to start a business. Because I get asked all the time, like, I want to start a business. And I would say, do you have these four superpowers? If yes, then go forth. If no, go hire people who do, like, or build them yourself, right? But I think it's like a really important thing to understand that this is not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. I take the quiz every six months. I started out five years ago with three superpowers. I now have four and a half because I own my journey. I knew the one and a half I really, oh, I, there's two I want. I'm only at one and a half right now. I keep taking this quiz, hoping I get self-sustaining at a higher number. But I think first of all, you got to believe it and you have to connect those results to specific memories in your life. So my confidence language is creating, performing, leading and giving. And I'm working on self-sustaining. And one of the things that happened is my company completely collapsed in March of 2020. Our sales were negative. They weren't zero because you sent back clothes that you weren't going to wear. We have a 30-day return policy. And because creating and performing and leading are my top superpowers, I said, okay, what do we have that no one else has? What are our strengths? What are And my team is achieving and knowing. They get things done. And I said, okay, we are going to make hospital gowns and face masks. And we did that for 72 days, April 3rd to July 13th of 2020. And people say, how does this small fashion company? And I said, because we have gas in the tank. We know what we're capable of. I put out on LinkedIn, the sales of my company are negative. If you have a company that needs face masks or hospital gowns, DM me. Hundreds of DMs. And so I led. I performed. You know, I, I was extroverted. I didn't hide. I said, we are about to go down. And so I want everyone to take the quiz and then think of a time when you really excelled and connect each of your superpowers to why, what got you there. I think the next part is then figure out if you want more. That's chapter six of my book. And then think about all the people around you and what their superpowers are. Do you complement each other? Do you butt heads because you have the same one? You both want to lead. You know, you start to see people very differently. My team has an opposite confidence language. I never make them feel bad for not being extroverted. My little brother and I have opposite confidence language. His number one is self-sustaining. He's been teaching me self-sustaining. My One of my top is performing. So when we go to dinner, I'll say, are you having fun? He goes, okay, stop asking me. If I weren't having fun, I would have left by now. And he said, but because you made me take that effing quiz, I know yours is performing. So every 30 minutes, I will tell you I'm having fun, just so you know, Okay. But, you know, we start to see people differently. So this is a new tool in your arsenal of self-awareness, also how you lead, how you progress. Um, one of my favorite messages from Thanksgiving this year is a woman wrote me this long message on LinkedIn. 
and she had her family take the superpower quiz over Thanksgiving dinner. And she said, I think I've been taking away my younger son's power his whole life. I'm like, oh my gosh, where is this message going? And she goes, I have two boys. The older tested as leading, performing, and achieving. No surprise. We go to a party. He's the center of attention. He's in charge. He's making everyone laugh. My younger one tested as giving and knowing. So he's smart. He's warm. He's empathetic. And we would go to parties and I would say, oh, no, no, he's not going to talk to you. He's shy. So don't be offended if he doesn't want to talk to you. When I could have said, he just finished a book on pandas. Ask him anything you want on pandas one-on-one. He will have you just on the edge of your seat telling you everything you didn't know about panda. And she had this conversation with him over Thanksgiving of like, do you think I made you feel bad your whole life because I called you shy? And he goes, you know, I never thought about it that way. But yeah, it could have helped if you had acknowledged some of the things that were different than my older brother. Because I think younger brothers are always in an older brother's shadow. And she said, I think your confidence language quiz helped me see my two boys for their unique value because I was forcing one to fit into society's mold too much. That's so interesting. And I'm so glad you shared that story. My daughter's four and a half and she's like very extroverted at home. And even like once she really gets to know people, but a lot of times when we're, you know, out and about, if someone says hi to her, she like hides behind me or like hides in my leg. And I've noticed basically 100% of the time people say to her, oh, are you shy? And like, that's people's automatic response to seeing a child that hides. And I've learned now, I I say, you know, oh no, she's not shy. She just really likes to take her time getting to know people. And for her to hear that I'm saying that, I've learned it's just so important because like you said, it's just, you know, the way I feel like society is. And like, we've all just been like trained to see things and say certain things because they've been repeated. I love that you do that. And I think then I'm not a parent, so I'm not a, I'm not licensed to give parenting advice. And I think it's a question of like, you know, no, she she really loves to get to know people. And and yeah. by the way, she is the world's best ballerina or she's the world's best mm-hmm. soccer player or you should see her take down, you know, um, a, a soccer field. I'm just always like, you know, I'm her biggest cheerleader. I think when we are able to validate others, not even just children, I'm talking about adults as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, when people know that they feel seen, then they can see themselves. I think we're all just wanting to be seen. And what I yeah. tell people is if you want to be seen, you have to see yourself first. At her age, she, do, she, she does think she's the best, right? It's just, it's just hard. I think when you're like, I don't know this person, stranger danger, like that. I'm yeah, happy totally. by the way. Like, I, I, totally. I, if you don't yeah. know that person, I, I want you to be a little scared. Okay. Yeah. I don't want you to go up and be like, Hey, are you my new best friend? Um, yeah. So you probably are taught teaching her good security and safety <laughs> guidelines around meeting new people. But, you know, again, not a parent, so not licensed to give parenting advice. I just love that that's where parents go when they read the book. Like, I've had a lot of men read the book Mm -hmm. and say, oh, my gosh, I now understand my teenage daughter. They're like, chapter two is my teenage daughter. And all of them Mm -hmm. say to me, what can I do to stop it? I said, you can't stop it. You actually can't stop these six forces. What you can do is fix a broken system. You can actually help them. Like the best one, I taught a father, one of my favorite ones, which Courtney got to hear as well. One of the six forces that acts against us is called shrinking effect. It's where we underestimate ourselves. It's where we shortchange ourselves. And it's why people, especially women, say sorry when they're not even sorry. Because Mm -hmm. we think we're less than, we're just shortchanging ourselves. 
And I said to this father, I said, you and your daughter play a game for a day. Every time she says sorry to you or you say sorry to her and you weren't really sorry, you give each other a buck. And they were passing a dollar back and forth. Even men say sorry Mm -hmm. when they're not sorry. I said, then the next day, every time you're about to say sorry, say thank you or say thank you for sharing that feedback. Thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for your patience, right? There's all these ways where we can assert, or great catch. I really appreciate you took the time to tell me that. Mm. So she was sick and she said, dad, I'm so sorry. You have to miss work. And goes, no, no, no. What are you going to say? Thank you so much for taking care of me. You're the best dad, right? Mm. I just think there's like little things like that where all of a sudden we're standing in our own power. Mm. And that was what I, I told him. Was like, here. All you can do is fix yeah. the system. You, all you can do is yep. fix the system and give her the best framework for her to feel so good about herself from an authentic place. This is not patting yourself on the back, right? This is like a, I see you and I see how hard you work at math. I see, it has to be super concrete at that level. Coming up, get ready to hear the four superpowers that Lisa shares are needed to start a business and the importance of pursuing your passion. Lisa, you mentioned there were four superpowers that you typically see in entrepreneurs. What are those four superpowers? Okay. Um, And by the way, Courtney, I knew you were going, which is we did have a fun time with sorry, right? I think that was one of my favorite moments. We did. We did. And I remember for weeks after, I would almost say sorry or try to type sorry because I was late on responding to an email and I would make a concerted effort to not say sorry. But uh, there was one case where I was like, oh, I actually really am sorry here. I have to just say it. And I was having this dialogue with myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, I kind of need to say sorry here. I can't think of a better word than sorry. No, no. I always say you should say, if you spill coffee on someone on the subway, please say sorry. I have email inbox proliferation. So I am the worst at getting back to people. And one of the things I did for myself is I would say, Thank you for waiting for me. It took me a while to get to your email. I really value you sending it and reaching out. Here's what is possible within what time is left from when you sent that email. But I really appreciate you understanding how busy being an entrepreneur slash author is. And I hope that when I email you, you'll, you know, if this happens in the reverse, you know that I will understand. And I always tell people, I'm like, I understand. I will say someone, I sent you that email. They're like, oh my gosh, you did? I'm like, don't be sorry. I know. I know that that is like buried at the bottom because I'm compassionate. I can see the pain. Now, in terms of the four qualities you most need, they are creating. That's not a surprise to many people. Leading, not surprising to people performing, and self-sustaining. And this is actually why when I saw the data set, I need to work myself on self-sustaining. And by the way, getting rejected 90% by publishers was a great exercise in self-sustaining for me. That's why I wanted to see those rejection letters. It was almost my own learning of how to cope with it. So creating makes total sense. I see ideas, I will them in existence. Leading, I have to inspire followership, right? You're a lone nut until you have the first follower. Okay, the first follower turned you from a lone nut into a brilliant human that came up with this idea. So you need to inspire followership. You need to be in command. You need to set direction. You need to have vision and set strategies. Performing is very much around advocating, right? So much of what we're doing is pitching ourselves, getting people on board, getting partners. And then self-sustaining is you have to be able to handle the rejection 
the setbacks. Things don't get easier. We get stronger. And you have to be willing to always be able to make an ask without feeling bad about it. It's just business, right? It's just business. And I'm doing the best I can to build my business. And all of these qualities have an iterative component that all four of them are incredibly self-resilient. When you look at the data set and you see the recovery and resilience, these four qualities all have the ability to bounce back with the exception of performing, by the way. And maybe that's why my performer, you know, performing, you need an audience, you need validation. I need you to love me back, which is why self-sustaining is so hard for me, right? Self-sustaining is I live free from external validation. Whether or not you like me, I like myself. So they do fight each other at times. But these four qualities, if you don't have them all, you need a co-founder who has one of them. You need people around you or you need to go build them. So this is why you see a lot of co-founder teams where there's someone who is the creator and then someone who's the salesperson, right? Or you'll have someone who is more the operator and the other person who's more the ideas person, right? And when you see those marriages work, it's because you realize which qualities you have and which don't. When you see them not work, and I wrote about this in my book, when you see entrepreneur combinations not work, it's because they both want to lead or they both want to perform. I wrote about in my book, this uh, this co-founder duo, they both had performing and they both, and, and whenever someone said, I only need one of you for this media appearance, or I only need you one of you for the podcast, they would fight over it about who gets the center stage. And I said, well, that's why it's not going to work. And when we went through this exercise, they're like, you're right, we should have one of us buy out the other one because both of us want to be in charge here. Not in charge, but both of us want to be the public facing side of this. And you see that a lot. I don't know if you ever look at founder breakups. You realize there's a lot of ego and I wish they had taken my quiz and realized, okay, I had another founder duo that I worked with where it did work, where I said, you both have performing. Do you want to take turns? Do you want to make one of them lead? And they're like, ooh, okay. You know what? I'm okay. You taking the lead. I actually realized I have kids. I don't want to do the social media things as much. Like, you go for it. And I said, but you can't feel bad. She goes, you know what? I think it's okay, you know, or we'll take turns. And that's something that you learn from the quiz. I just had this idea that you've probably already thought of this, but for founders that are, let's say, pitching, they're raising capital, taking the quiz and like in their pitch deck, showing the investors like, this is what I'm great at. This is what my partner's great at and showing them that they've like taken this quiz and done that work. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, they don't even have to show the superpowers. Like I, I'm fine. It's like Clifton Strength Finders or whatever. But you do need to be able to articulate complementary skills and abilities. So if you take the quiz and you take my quiz results and you translate it into your own words, I think it could be very helpful for people to see how co-founders could get along, right? Because that's always the question of like, are you going to divorce and we're going to be in a lawsuit and we're going to have a problem when we have to exit? I think it's more around, you know what? This is the person who's going to set direction, who's going to operate the company. I'm the person who's going to be out there selling and pitching. And, you know, if you can at least see your skill sets as complementary and convey that, people will know that you're ahead of the game. Like you've already looked five years out and said, if we would, if we're going to go through a divorce, by the way, this is why couples are taking my quiz. There's actually an example of cup, a cup, uh, two couples that took the quiz together. And it's so funny. The, the story that I love is there's a couple that it's in New York City, so we have box air conditioners, right? You you all remember what a window air, with you with your central HVAC now in Florida. And this couple had just moved in together and they were having this big fight 
over the air conditioner, right? The woman's number one was creating. Now, if you're creating, you're like, shoot from the hip. I don't need data. Let's just go get an air conditioner and get it done today. Let's, you know, I want an air conditioner. We're just going to make that happen today. And his number one was knowing, right? So he's going to research every air conditioner. He's not going to trust the Amazon reviews because half of them are paid. And she was like, Ian, it's been a week. It is so hot. Can you just choose it? And they took the quiz and they're like, that's why we had the biggest fight yet of moving in together is because she's creating and performing and I am knowing and I get things done effectively. It may take me longer, but I need all the available information. And afterwards, they thought about that fight and they were like, you know what? Ian was right on this one. We have the best air conditioner. It's so quiet. It's going to last us for years. It costs a little bit more. She goes, I'm actually happy now. And I can honor the fact that there are some things that he gets to do. And she said, but when I want to spontaneously have date night, he's got to go with it, right? He's like, wait, where are we going? Does that restaurant have good reach? Like, we're just going because it's fun. It's just fun to go do this, you know? And so I love when couples take the quiz together because they start to see them, how they work. Lisa, what is your biggest business secret that you can share with our listeners? I would say the, I have a couple, but one of them that I, well, there are two that I, there are two that I think are very important, especially for entrepreneurs. One is you need a shame buddy. Everyone needs a shame buddy. Darkness cannot survive the light of the connection. And I have somebody in my life who I can tell all of the inner critic worst case scenario thoughts out loud to. And she won't problem solve me. She won't think less of me. In fact, she often tells me that happened to me too, girl. Investor wants their money back. Yep, happened to me. Let me tell you, let me tell you that happens all the time. And so I love having a shame buddy because a shame buddy sees you for your strengths as well. So I will say, okay, here's my worst case. And then she'll say, what's the best case? And I'll say, okay, this is what could happen. She goes, do you feel more in control? I'm like, yeah, most likely case is the best one because guess what? I'm in control now. Thank you for, we always say, can we'll call each other at least three times. I'm like, I need five minutes to say all the things. And she'll go, go. And I'll be like, I'm waiting on this vendor to say yes to this. I'm, I asked for money and blah, blah. And he goes, okay. And what's the best case? I'm like, this will probably happen. This will probably happen. And this probably won't happen. She goes, okay, do you feel better? I'm like, yes. And then she'll say, is it my turn to say all the things back to you? And she'll say this, you know. So I think everyone needs a shame buddy. And Courtney and I, we got to do this in person where I'm like, turn to the person you don't know at this event and meet your new shame buddy. You're about to reveal all your secrets to them. And the second thing that I do is so much of the time we look at the summit that we don't turn around to see how much ground we've covered. And I really, really, every time I hit adversity, because being an entrepreneur, you eat glass and you stare into the abyss. You eat glass because you do everything no one wants to do. You stare into the abyss worrying where the next dollar is coming from. And someone on my team who has very high self-sustaining said, Lisa, we've been here before and we've always figured it out. We're not going to make payroll or health insurance this week. You've always somehow managed it, right? Every month we have to do the same two cycles. And you've always figured it out. So why is this time any different? And I'll think through, I'm like, no, it's actually not different. And so I've wasted a lot of energy worrying. And so that's one thing I like to do is I like to look back every once in a while and go, I've done that before. It was hard, but I'm much stronger and I could do it again. And we don't give ourselves enough credit. What you're saying is definitely something that I need to be hearing right now. Courtney, can I just, I, I want to let you ask your question. <laughs> yes. But um, I'm going to launch a newsletter called I Needed to Hear This Today. 
Because someone, um, you know, again, I've met like so many people on this book tour and everyone's like, I needed to hear this today. And I always say, it's like Mary Poppins. You show up most when people need you, right? You come from the winds from the East or the West or whatever. I will say, of course we needed to hear this today. Gravitas for me is not a state of being. It's a total approach to living life with self-assurance. There is not one day I don't wake up with all six forces in my head and have to do my own work for myself every day. So I'm happy that we get to be together today. But yes, every single day, there's like a new piece of your inner critic that's ready to pop up or a new whack-a-mole moment where you're like, no, I'm stronger than that. And this is why, right? It's just, it's just reality. I did it for myself this morning. What else is next for Gravitas? It's funny. I've now had the company for a decade and everyone's always called it a fashion company, but I never saw it as a fashion company. There are thousands of fashion companies. It's like one of the most crowded markets. There's room for all of us, but like the world doesn't need another fashion company. The world doesn't need another book. You know, there, there's a lot of things. And what people don't know when I started the company, because I'm not going to go out there and say, actually, this is a bigger idea, is I wrote the mission statement to be category agnostic. So it's we catalyze confidence. And we used fashion as the entree. It was almost the laboratory through which I could meet as many women in boardrooms and dressing rooms. Because when you meet someone in the dressing room or the boardroom, you're meeting them at their most vulnerable moment. And it was really a chance to unlock all of these insights about how do we help each other be the most capable versions of ourselves. And so the book is the next chapter of the company. We'll always still keep making fashion. That's something that we'll continue to do because we love doing it. But the book now springboards us into a different place where all these other ways in which we can touch someone's life, right? People take a quiz. They see themselves differently. What's that next iteration? Is there a way to interact with them? Not necessarily from a profit motivation, but we're building this. I was mentioning it to you during the prep. You know, We're building this experience out. My chief of staff is working on this really cool way for us to interact with people. And it's free. We're not going to monetize it. And I said, when you feel a moment of self-doubt, where do you go? You can't come back to my book every time. You can't, you know, go back. You, you, where do you go? Where's that destination? And it's not therapist. You see your therapist twice a month, maybe once a week. I was like, you have to be able to do it on the fly. And so there's all these cool things that we're going to do that are like the quiz. The quiz is completely free, right? I just want to do them because they're the right thing to do. So Courtney, without revealing my whole business strategy, the next 10 years, I think will be a springboard for something pretty cool where we're going to make a difference in people's lives. I will say all my ideas that have not been motivated by money have been my best ones that have led to money though. You know what I mean? It's so funny. Whenever we try to make money, we fail. <laughs> I don't know if that happens to you or some of your clients, but whenever we're like, we got to do this because we got to hit the revenue number. It's like wah, wah, right? It's like Black Friday this year. It was like wah, wah, we're 70% down. I can say that without apologizing, right? Like we got to make as much money in Q4 and then wah, wah, everybody discounted 80% a week before we did. Okay. You know, but whenever it's something like I'm wearing our year of the tiger lunar new year blouse or the newsprint blouse that you saw me and Courtney, those were passion projects. Those were things that we just wanted to do because it was a really important message we wanted to send out to the world. Those were our bestsellers last year. Or I was like, I want to make a jumpsuit that you can pee in without getting undressed in the bathroom because I hate wearing jumpsuits. That wasn't about money. That was like Lisa's son wanted to wear a jumpsuit for the first time in her life where she didn't have to get undressed. That was our bestseller this summer. Wait, Lisa, I have to stop you. You make a 
What? <laughs> a whole line of jumpsuits. There's six styles and it blows your mind. Like women write us these long love letters. You don't have to get undressed to pee. And I don't want to tell you, you have to just get one to see how it works. This whole episode has been one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded ever and learning so much from you. And it like I feel like this recording today was like kismet after Courtney and I had a conversation right before we recorded. And as you're talking, I'm like, this is exactly what Courtney needs to hear right now. And now you tell me about the jumpsuit at the end of this. It's like, like that's what I needed to hear today, right? It is. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be also linking out to the jumpsuit in the show notes below. The quiz, the jumpsuit, the book, everything will be in the show notes. Lisa, last question for you. And I know we could sit here and and chat for hours, but I also know you have to get to the bank before it closes. Before five on a Friday. So I'm going to ask you one last question. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I really believe if you are pursuing your passion and making a difference in a world, you're an entrepreneurista. And The problem with our society is we've used financial metrics to define success. I will never be a billionaire in U.S. dollars liquid, but I'm a billionaire in terms of value created in the world, right? The connections I've made, the ways in which I've helped women be able to go out there and make those millions or billions. And I think really we've been taught that unicorns are the aspiration. Most of us will never own unicorns. So take that mantle off of yourself. I did this amazing event in South Bend, Indiana. Shout out to the South Bend, Indiana Entrepreneurship Institute, where they awarded an awesome prize to small businesses, a food truck, woman-owned brewery. And these are not companies that are going to be unicorns. These are companies that are changing their communities, which I think is as valuable, if not more, than trying to have the next unicorn IPO. And those women who won the awards and got the cash prize, they're going to be able to send their kids to college. They're going to be able to invite people into their businesses. And I'm like, that's more valuable to me fundamentally than exiting my company. I hate when people ask me, are you going to sell it? What's the exit? I'm like, well, if you're focused on money and the exit, you're not doing the stuff that you're really passionate about. And so I really hope people take away, I don't need to go and pitch myself as the next Uber or the next Netflix, right? Like that is a small league that, or the next Spanx or the next whatever you want to call it. You can say, here's how I'm making a difference here. Here's how I'm changing lives. And I'm a billionaire in terms of value created. I know fundamentally I'm a billionaire in terms of people's lives I've touched, changed, or connected with. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing that, sharing your whole story today. We are so excited to stay connected with you and do more together and share Gravitas with our whole entrepreneurista community. And I know there's more to come in 2024 for all of us. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And we'll link out to all of that as well in the show notes below. Yeah. So our social media handles are at Lisa L. Sun and at Gravitas New York. And myconfidencelanguage.com is a place you can take the quiz. It also is housed on our our main website. So it, it forces you there anyways. Yes, I'm going to take that quiz right now. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurs League, 
our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.